Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Daylight Savings Edition. good old theme song is back. Spooky times is over. I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and once again, welcome to Paranormal Almanac. Daylight Savings Edition. Is it 4.30? Is it 5.30? Is it midnight? I have no idea. I'm so conf- My brain is so confused. How can one hour's difference be so discombobulating, be so strange, but yet here we are. Recording a podcast some undetermined time of day. And on this episode, what's that? Let's take a look at some historical weird shit. But first, as always, let's do shout-outs to the patrons. Patrons had a big week this week. We had a couple of patrons win the hand of fate. Fate decided it. I got this stupid little program that was online about like drawings and random things, spinny the wheel kind of crap, spinning the number something. And uh, yeah, the hand of fates. I know I'm kind of jumping ahead. I, I'm, well, you know what? Let's do the shout outs first, Kurt. Let's do this in order. Then we'll get to that hand of fate update. There's, there's rules here. Shout outs going out to Steven Cher, Jane Ann Dennison, Jennifer Lounsbury, Heather G, Shoki Shoki, Zuzus, what's it? Paula Cassidy Bishop, Rick Foster, Foster, Nico Share in the Mouse, Andrew M, Paul Lucarodi, Mark Tortuga, Hannah Boo, Mike from Jersey, Tuesday Marie, Jay Bizzle, Andy Ross, Tracy Semenek. You know, there's a reason I don't do last names, Kurt, but let's keep going. Virginia Mailman, Tony Chaparro, or Chaparro, Jason, Vicky Crow, Clay W, Buzz Lee, Tom Proletariat. Labido Works, Glacier, Maine, Isabel Sherritt, Jen Jen, Stacy Schmidt, Amber Al- Al- oh, this is bad, Aileen, Tracy Bellinger, Sandy Sorrentino, Kelly Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic Robot Webcomic, Sandy, Paige Brooks, Couch Desai, Sean Bent, Andrew Troda, Scott A., Andrea Ulrich, Devin Hebb, Melody Clark, Ricardo Barcinos, Vicky Koblenz, oh, I'm butchering, I'm butchering, Vanessa Kai, Marisol, Liam Neville, Roger Todero, Michael Gordon, Alicia Lopez, Becca Jake and the Beasties, Romine, Elizabeth Contreras, Wojtek Duminski, Sherry Jackson, Art Muffin, Trudy White, Tim Bentley, Kenneth Hunter, Ricardo Dominguez, Ian Arnold, Armor Times 10, Alexandra Schloss, George Benson, Seth Eaton, Zozo the Demon, Hayden Hatcher, Cindy Tyler, Ashley V, what's that? Carrie Stone, Robin Prebisius, Prebisius, sure. Well, I knew I got that one right. Well, uh, Will Blinn, Phil and Lauren Womangano, Russell Milet, April Cedillo, Cedillo, I'm a guess. Isabel Pina Venegas, 
Audra Powell, Dorian Liable, Cindy Falness, Bob Kruger, Kruger, Stacey Farr, Jerry Scoustin, Lindsey Hahn, Megan Rutledge, Rutledge, Jeff Teal, Happy Birthday, Harley Suzanne McGowan, Joe Wong, Harley Henschley, A. Larnstrong, hey howdy hi, Veronica Schloss, Adam Tucker, J. Mark Beaver, Manning Camp, Carolyn Chow, Martin Martucci, Jay Blackshire, Nanashi Wolf, Chuck Cook, Dodd Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson. I got that one right. Dan, Laura Pitts, and Gamer Fan. With two special shout-outs, as always, to Joe Teague and Stitch. Stitch Sandvik. There you go. That's probably the one and last time, the final time I'll ever do a shout-out with last names involved because, come on, people. I, I can't. I, I, just, I just can't. I'm just going to stop there. I, I can't. I can't. All right, hand a fade update. As I was, as I hinted to earlier, the hand of fates have been decided. The winners have been announced. This is kind of cool. I'm really kind of, I kind of dig the fact that, you know, it sucks that Halloween is over, but it's cool that I get to send out hand of fates around the world. Hand of fates, the, 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 as tale as old as time, the legend has it. Once the hand of fate goes out around the world, the end times are nigh. I guess. I don't know. It's just kind of cool, though. Alrighty, let's get right on in to... Hold on. I haven't done this one in a while. Let's get right... Of course, everybody's going to text me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I know. I got to vote. Uh, trust me, I'm voting. Relax, peoples. All right, let's get right on in to Paranormal News. Have you ever seen Bigfoot riding on the back of Nessie while being sucked up into the sky by a UFO, all to the soundtrack of a choir of ghost cats being led by a black-eyed child? Is this story true? Well, there's only one place you're going to find out. Get all my news from Paranormal News. Listen carefully for the clues. The stories are strange and bizarre. It makes you wonder just who we are. Thanks, Buzz. Gotta love that. Again, if you want to send bumper music that is equal to or greater than that amazing Buzz Lee song that you just heard just now, and you're talented and you're like, hey, I can make music, that's cool, like that music, that's cool, well... Send it on over to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Also, if you have your own personal paranormal stories, I want to hear about them. Yes, I'm going to do some live shows again coming up soon. I know I keep saying that, but this past week, look, it got away from me. This past week was brutal. The old day job was your brutal one. So didn't happen last week. I wanted as much as I wanted to do it. It just didn't happen. But I'm going to do some live shows coming up soon. But you can always email me. At paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. All right, the first story in paranormal news. Latest U.S. Defense Intelligence report on UFOs to be, to be made public soon. A declassified version of the latest U.S. Defense Intelligence report on UFOs rebranded in official government parlance as, quote, unidentified aerial phenomena is expected to be made public in the coming days. Now they're saying... 
you're looking forward to this thinking, you know, this is going to be it where they say, hey, yep, they're all real and aliens are real. And here's one right now to talk to you. They said, no, probably not what you're hoping for. They said it's going to be a mix of foreign surveillance, including relatively ordinary drone flights, airborne clutter, such as weather balloons, and other mundane stuff. But they said there is still no single explanation that addresses the majority of UAP reports. According to U.S. Defense Department spokesperson Su Gao, said in a statement this week, we are collecting as much data as we can, following the data where it leads, and we'll share our findings whenever possible. Man, I hope so. I really hope they're more forthcoming than what I have a feeling they're going to be. Come on, Disclosure. It's 2022. It's the end of 2022. I think, I'm pretty sure I made a prediction that UFOs would be, you know, Disclosure would happen in 2022. So I'm running out of time here. We got less than two months to go here. So come on, let's get to it. Up next in paranormal news, Earth is unprepared for alien contact, according to extraterrestrial experts. Are there extraterrestrial experts, and how come I'm not one of them? What comes after we come in peace? Well, a group of scientists dedicated to the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, popularly known as SETI, announced a new campaign to establish a global approach to intergalactic relations. Based at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, their work includes impact assessments and coordination with world leaders to draw up treaties as well as guidelines for responsible science communication in the social media era. Science fiction is awash with explorations of the impact on human society following discovery of and even encounters with life or intelligence elsewhere. But we need to go beyond thinking about the impact on humanity. Oh, I got to turn that off. People are going to be bugging me there. For decades, they've been saying, sure, you know, when it happens, that'll be neat. But what happens After it happens, the potential discovery of microbial life will likely raise different types of concerns that would allow the discovery of intelligent life. We are, as yet, entirely unprepared as a species for the latter. The time is thus right for consideration of humanity's response and responsibility following the detection of both life and intelligence in the cosmos. All right, they're not wrong. Look, We are barely keeping it together with just earthlings on Earth. If there is full disclosure and aliens are out there and everybody knows it, we're doomed is what I'm saying. You know, we can't even get people to agree that a pandemic just happened. So, come on, people. All righty, up next in paranormal news, mystery tree beast turns out to be a croissant. That's right. When animal welfare officers received a report of an unusual animal lurking in a tree in the Polish city of Krakow, they were not sure what to expect. People aren't opening their windows because they're afraid it will go into their house, a woman reported. But a visit to the area showed the creature in in question. I got to start that whole sentence over. I, I fucked it up halfway through it. But a visit to the area showed the creature in question was not a bird or even a reptile but a croissant. The Krakow Animal Welfare Society said, yeah, the incident was genuine, but officers have been asked, officers had asked the desperate caller whether the unidentified animal, which had been in the tree for two days, could be a bird of prey. The woman responded, it looks more like 
a lagoon, similar to a laguna, Polish for lagoon, but before remembering the correct term, laguan or iguana, that does not look like an iguana. It looks like, like I would have said, I think it's a some kind of hive, like a bee's hive or a wasp nest, but nope, it was a croissant. All right, how do we get, I want to get to the bottom of this. How did a croissant end up in a tree? What? It doesn't say how the croissant ended up in the tree? The inspectors found the headless and limbless object in a lilac tree, a pastry probably thrown out of a window to feed birds. That's a huge-ass croissant to be chucking at birds, but there you go. Sadly, a new cryptid was not born in Krakow, but I'm going to call it the Krakow croissant. Already up next in paranormal news, Space Oddity. The Mexican group claims alien base offers hurricane protection. That's right, Gulf Coast cities have little to fear from extreme weather, thanks, apparently, to extraterrestrials lurking underwater. Communities on the Gulf Coast brace themselves for what is predicted to be a grueling hurricane season, but a group of stargazers in the northeastern state of Tamalip. Tamalapitas? Sure, why not? Are confident that a unique form of disaster preparation will keep their cities safe because the members of the Association of Scientific UFO Research of that city that I can't pronounce, or ACOT, believe that an interdimensional underwater base of extraterrestrial origin has protected the coastal cities of Madero and Tampico from hurricanes for more than 50 years. Prove them wrong, people. If you want to go like, well, that's bullshit. That's not why it's, you know, it's cold water and warm up. No, no, no. Prove them wrong. You go down there and you find the alien base and then ask the aliens, hey, are you guys stopping hurricanes? And then when the aliens go, oh, no, 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 not at all. It's just, it's just an underwater water base. It's nothing to do with hurricanes. Then, then you win. Then you could say, see, Kurt, I told you so. But until then, I, I don't want to hear it. All right. For this next one, we go directly to YouTube. Hi, Rum. How are you? How's my girl? Bum, bum, bum. The story. Black triangular-shaped UFO spotted hovering over Islamabad in Pakistan, January 25th, 2022. That's right. Hey, guys. We have got footage of what I'm calling a black triangular UFO. Well. So, guys, let's... That's what you should call it, because that's what everybody said it was. A black triangular UFO. I saw this when I was landing my drone. It hovered for over two hours at this spot, when eventually it got dark and I couldn't see it anymore. When asked if he had seen it move or leave, he replied, it did move, but very slowly. Never left the area. Saw until the sky went completely at dark. It had no lights, nor was it reflecting the sunlight much. This was hours before sunset. Saw this from my rooftop. When asked about the drone he had, his, his reply was, I was landing my drone when I saw it. Unfortunately, it had no juice in it, or else I could have taken some epic footage. All right, it looks like, let me, he's zooming in now. Zooming in some more. Right now, it just looks like a black balloon. Does not look like a triangle at all. This is uh, courtesy of the Hidden Underbelly 2.0, which, as you know, is a better Hidden Underbelly than 1.0. 1.0 had so many bugs in it. There was, a, there was so many glitches in that Hidden Underbelly. But this 2.0 Underbelly, boof, it is streamlined. All right, come on. Come on, let's move forward. I want to zoom in like a normal person does. Ah, there we go. Yeah, it sure does look like a like a balloon. Hi, Ron, what do you want? I don't know what to give you. I'm. I, yes, I love you too. But I'm trying to read the news right now. 
See, we're at the news. I got the microphone. Front. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. All right. I'm happy that you're happy to be here. All righty. But we got to move on to the next. The next story in paranormal news is also a YouTube story. This is one that I wanted to watch when it was uh, sent to me. Kurt, you got to watch it. And I said, well, I can't watch it until paranormal news, which is now. So, no, no, Rum, you got to get down. I don't want you turning off the computer while you're standing on it. Spooky humanoid-like creature activates motion camera in Australia's forest. All right. This one is from Mr. MBB333. Watch here. Name Cameron, October 1st, 2022. Location, Sydney, Australia. Door wildlife camera that's motion activated and also has night vision. You're going to see a mist. So what you're looking for there is you're looking in the bottom left-hand corner in Sydney, Australia for a wildlife camera that's going to show you what appears to be a creature with glowing their eyes. Their eyes there, man, they, them, there glow. Okay, let's get to it. Come on, come on, get to it. Stop showing me the, the earth. Let's get to it. I don't care about any of this. Here we go. There we go. All righty. This is the original video footage. Yeah, no, I don't care. All righty. So I'm watching the footage. I'm going to look to the left. Yep, I'm looking right over there. Uh, still see trees. Still tre see trees. Oh, yeah, all right. Oh, it moved and it blinks. All right, that's cool. If it is not, all right, first of all, you have to skip to two minutes and 28 seconds in the video. It's like an eight-minute video, but two minutes, 28 seconds will show it. It Look, if this isn't computer-generated, it's not CGI, it really does look like an alien head that, that blinks and moves its head and kind of, kind of moves away from the camera. But I want more. Uh, let me see if it moves me more. I'm going to keep watching it. No, still doing the exact same thing. Oh, it's back to that. Oh, it seems to have a... No, I don't know if that's a hand or just a leaf in front of it. I, look... It could be pareidolia, it could be a Halloween mask, or it could be CGI, or it could be an alien that's just hanging out in Australia and got caught on a motion camera. I'll uh, put that one in the uh, Facebook fan pages so you can take a look. But with that, that about wraps it up for Paranormal News. Let's move on to the next topic at hand, merch. Remember how I said, hey, all the 200th limited edition shirts, they're all going down. And you people were like, bullshit. You're not, you didn't spend all that time making all of these cool shirt designs to just take them all down. Well, guess what? They're all down. That's right. If you head on over to tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac, you're going to find that all the limited edition shirts are now gone. So if you bought one, you have a very limited edition, limited edition shirt. Sure. Um, but there are some new styles that I just created and just put up there. A lot of cool, funky little styles. There's an 80s style. There's a retro style. There's, you know, I don't know. There's styles. Check them out. Take a, take a look. See, you know, it doesn't hurt. Just check them out and be like, yep, you got some new styles there, Kurt. And if you like one, buy it. Get them in multitudes of colors. You can get them as a sticker, as a phone case, probably as a mask. I don't know. There's lots of options is what I'm saying. Tote bag. If you need tote bags, the best tote bags are Paranormal Almanac Tote Bags. Totebag.com voted Paranormal Almanac as having the best Paranormal Almanac tote bags in the world in 1991. So, you know, we've been doing it for a while. We know what we're doing. All righty, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. 
We are back. All right, next week, the next episode, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor for the for the month. It's violetsinmay.co.uk. It is a rockabilly kind of company, a retro vintage company. I think vintage is the best term for it. Clothing company that is absolutely incredible. Made, done, 100% by just a wonderful human being. So I want to get the word out as best I can. So take a look. Go to violetsinmay.co.uk. I'll have more info on the next episode, but this one, I kind of wanted to just tease it that this Paranormal Almanac was brought to you by violetsinmay.co.uk. And I also put the link in the Facebook fan page, so you can always just click on that. Make it I don't know how to make it any easier for you. All righty, we are back. On this edition, let's take a look at some historically weird shit. So what am I going to call this episode? Well, how about this? Historical Weird Shit Show! Shit Show! Shit Show! Shit Show! I love weird shit shows. And I wanted to do another one almost immediately since the last one. But I thought, it can't just be, you know, like the past 20 years that weird shit has happened. So I said to myself, I said, Kurt, how far back can you go and find equally weird shit? The answer is very far back, like stupid far back. I scoured the newspapers, virtually of course, and started finding one after another of just people talking about weird shit. It's a weird shit show. Now, you'll find out why I couldn't find any witnesses to most of these in just a second. Don't worry. But uh, let's have some fun and wind down the spooky season that we just had. I hope you guys all had a good Halloween. I hope you guys handed out candy. Sadly, I got left with a handful of candy still because not a lot of kids came to my front door. It was a bummer. Uh, across the street, thousands. They didn't want to cross to my side of the street. Apparently some lone weirdo lives on this side of the street with a small black dog that does a podcast about paranormal shit. And, and parents are like, no, you're not going there. Which, you know what? Huh, sucks to be you because I was handing out good candy. But uh, anyhow, I hope you guys had a good Halloween. I hope you dressed up as a slutty pumpkin or whatever the hell you wanted to dress up as. And I figured while we're winding down spooky season, let's do a historical weird shit show. Shit show. Shit show. Shit show. Shit show. Shit show. Now, the first one was written about right after it happened, give or take 10 years. It was in the newspaper. And while the details aren't the best... I guess it's the best I can expect. I can't expect much more from 1830. That's right. Here's the article as it appeared back in the day. Around 1830, on the island of Benbacula, Scotland, a woman who wanted to wash her feet at the reef found herself looking at, quote, a creature in the form of a woman in miniature. Now, this creature was swimming in the calm sea in close proximity to her. She called her friends and soon, I'm assuming down on the phone, it's 1830. I'm assuming she's like, hello, friends. That's a terrible Scottish guy. Oi, lasses, get over here. A bunch of friends came over, basically. A group of people were watching this odd creature as it swam about and made somersaults in the ocean. 
Some of the men tried to wade out to the animal, but it started to swim away. Then, some boys, Kurt here, dickhead boys, threw stones at it, and one of them struck the creature square in the back. The story gets worse. A few days later, its dead body was found on a beach 3.2 kilometers away from where it happened. Yeah, that's right. Some dickhead Scottish boy stoned a tiny woman mermaid to death. Why? Oh, because it was swimming and frolicking in the sea, not anywhere near anybody, not trying to harm anybody. So yeah, let's throw a stone at it and kill it. Now, crowds crowds of people came to see the creature that had washed up on shore. It was described as being the size of a well-fed three- or four-year-old child. Well-fed. Not not just a random three- or four-year-old child. Find me a well-fed three-year-old. That's the size of it. With abdominal... I knew I was going to mess this part up because it's bizarre. A well-fed three- or four-year-old child with abnormally developed breasts... Long, dark, glossy hair, and white skin that was very soft. The lower part of her body was like a salmon, but without scales. She's a mermaid. What they found, they found a freaking mermaid. That little thing, the thing that the kids stoned to death, mermaid. Apparently a very well-developed mermaid. All right, so as the word spread, crowds of people gathered on the beach to take a look at this mysterious creature because... As we have all learned from other episodes about olden times, there's, you know, there's just nothing to do. There's not shit to do. So when word got out about just about anything, the townspeople came in forces to see, you know, whatever stupid thing some farmer told his buddies about. Now, it's said that one by one, the townsfolk all agreed, yep, that's a mermaid. Then the local sheriff, hey, what are you doing? The local sheriff, the factor for the chief of McDonald in Clanrenald was called in. Upon seeing the creature, he confirmed, yep, that's a mermaid. So he asked the townsfolk to grab a child's coffin and a shroud that were brought to the beach. He laid the mermaid in the coffin and buried her in a nearby churchyard in an unmarked grave. Now, it was said at the time that the funeral for the creature was one of the largest and well-attended on the island and was carried out the same way a proper Christian burial would be done. Now, many people that have investigated the story think that the mermaid wasn't actually buried by the churchyard, but was buried near the dunes themselves. So, a field reconnaissance of the dunes, fringing Kula Bay... Undertaken by a correspondent at their... Whoa, what are you doing, Rum? You're killing me here. Too much noise. I love you, sweetheart, but it's just too much noise here. Play with your ball over there. All right, where were we? We were in... Friggin' Kula Bay. So, it was undertaken by a correspondent at the request of the Keeper of Molluska at the National Museum of Scotland. Now, it led to the discovery of an isolated stone within a wind-eroded hollow upon the crests of the dunes. The possibility existed that this could mark the site of the grave of a mermaid reportedly buried there. A brief examination of the stone done at the time said it didn't support any that hypothesis at all, and there's no evidence that it was set up as a grave marker. So, somewhere near this bay in Benbacula, Scotland, is a buried mermaid. Like, 
that's cool. It's still out there. It can be dis- it can be rediscovered. Now, there have been many other mermaid tales existing on the island. Colin Campbell, who's a crofter from Bowra, he spotted what he thought was an otter fishing near the shore, and he was about to shoot it like a dickhead. Seriously. Why are you going to shoot an otter? Have you ever seen the way they swim on their backs and break shells with rocks? It's fucking adorable. I have never heard that otters are good eating. So, you know what? How about you calm down with the shooting cute animals for two seconds and just enjoy their antics? I would love it if I lived on some random bay far away from humanity and I saw an otter. I would watch that thing all day long. And I would be like, come here, come closer. I will give you gifts. You know, I wouldn't want to be like, I'm going to fucking shoot that thing. So now he decided instead of rushing to shoot it, to maybe, you know, check it out through his telescope in case, you know, it's not an otter and it's a small child or some other shit that doesn't need to be immediately shot. And he said uh, he was shocked when he saw what was described as a woman carrying a small baby in her arms. Now, the creature spotted him from the shore and disappeared. Now, the story doesn't say this, but I assume that he just started shooting like a crazed person because the tiny mermaid and child were just as much of a target as a freaking otter. Hey, what are you shooting at? I don't know. It's either an otter or a wee lass with a baby. Either way, I need it, did. That's that's the best Scottish as you're going to get from me. Seriously, can we all... Calm down. It's not just Americans now. Look, this guy's from Scotland, and he's immediately like, what's that in the water? Like, calm the hell down. You don't need to shoot everything. Not everything's out to eat your face. All right, then, in 1833, Dr. Robert Hamilton, who's a professor of natural history at Edinburgh University, He reported that Scottish fishermen had captured a mermaid off of Yell in the Shetland Islands, and he held it for three hours. They held it for three hours while compiling a detailed description. The creature had a monkey-like face with short hair on its scalp, a woman's torso, and a tail resembling that of a dogfish. No word on the boob size, guys. Sorry. Now, they released the creature when it began making plaintive little moans. That is sad as hell. That's just straight up sad as hell. Speaking of plain of little moans, Rum is making her plain of little moans about wanting a treat. So hold on one second. I am back. Now, Neil McKitchen Crofter from Hogue Bay, Southeast, was returning from the Clyde where he and others had been with the farm produce before the days of steamers in the West. I have no idea what that means. It sounds disgusting. Now, they were becalmed emerging from the Sound of Mall. This is actually an old-timey news article, in case you couldn't guess it. The sun was scorching, the air was breathless, and the surface of the sea was smooth as polished glass, when all were astonished to see a creature about two yards from the side of the motionless skiff. Its head, neck, breast, and shoulders, oh good, we got the boob thing back in, resembled those of a woman, though its hair was much more coarse and its eyes more glassy. All below the breast was in the water. Oh, so she's got her titties hanging out. So they, they, they must love her, you know? Oh, geez, man. These people are not only obsessed with mermaids. It's all about the boob size of a mermaid. The creature gazed at them for a minute or two with its large, wandering eye, wondering eyes and then disappeared into the sea as silently as it come. 
The narrator offered no explanation of the strange phenomena, never having seen anything like it before, though all of his life accustomed to the sea. One of his companions, however, said it was the mermaid and declared that he had, been a, he had seen a creature exactly like it some years previously while making kelp at Erd Moline, southeast. Neil was an entirely truthful man and incapable of inventing. He was one of nature's nobles, being richly endowed mentally and physically. Oh, there you go, ladies. There's his dick size. With a phenomenal memory. He was a relation of Neil McCachan, or MacDonald, father of the Marshal MacDonald, Duke of Tarentum, and was remarkably like the Duke in form and features, as well as in temperament. He had seen and conversed with the Duke when he visited his relatives in South Oost. So there you go. There's another mermaid storytelling time thing that happened in Scotland. Boy, you Scots love mermaid boobies. All right, then there's a song about the first mermaid encounter. But I got to be honest, it takes a bit to get going. And then it's, you know, it's a lot. So if you want to listen to it, just look up Murdered Mermaid Song from McGivilray Live. McGivilray. Sure, why not? Okay, from there, let's go to the morning of April 7th, 1865. Let's, let's switch gears off of uh, mermaids to the next story. April 7th, 1865. Workmen digging a tunnel through magnesium limestone in Hartlepool, England, broke up a large stone and discovered that inside of it was a toad. No, no, not a toad fossil. Not a stone that looked like a toad. But they broke open at the rock, and it wasn't like a hollow rock filled with, like, water and bugs and shit. No, it was a solid rock. They broke it open, and right there in the middle, like the cream in a Cadbury cream egg, was a toad. Now, the toad immediately started to move once they opened it. After some effort, it started to breathe, and it made a loud barking noise whenever it was touched. I'll get to the barking noise in a second. Now, the toad was completely surrounded by stone. The cavity it left was a perfect mold of a tiny toad body. The article says initially the toad's skin color was the same as the stone, but as soon as it started breathing, it became a bright olive green hue. The story also goes on to say that examination showed that the toad's mouth was sealed and the barking noise that I just told you about was made by its nostrils. The animal had the claws of its forefeet turned inward and had hind claws that were much longer than the common British toads. The stone it was freed from was found 25 feet below the surface, 8 feet away from any spring water vein. The toad continued to live for some time after it was exhumed from the rock and was examined by a number of people, one of them being Reverend Robert Taylor. Now, he was of the opinion that the toad must be around 6,000 years old to be found in the rock it inhabited. Okay, Kurt here. Do I think... I'll get the ball in just a minute, Rum. You gotta wait. Do I think or believe that a toad got caught up in sand then instead of becoming a fossil just stayed a toad while rock formed around him, only to be awakened 6,000 years later by a coal miner? Yeah, of course. Look, there's just no other explanation. Oh, oh, let me guess. 
You think that a toad just happened to be nearby and hopped onto a recently broken stone and that nobody noticed it and then someone looked down and went, whoa, did that toad come out of that stone? All right, well, since you put it that way, I'm going to go, I'm going to change my answer to that. That's probably what happened. Also, why are men digging tunnels just, you know, splitting rocks for fun to see what's inside the rocks? You're digging a tunnel. You think you've seen enough rocks and, and would be messing about, like, I'm not going to be just, like, running around. I'm going to break open that rock on my break. I'm going to hold on to it now. I know we're working on the tunnel, but at my lunch break, that little rock right there, I'm going to open it up. I want to see what's inside that. I will say, for the record, I want there to be toad rocks. I really, really want there to be toad rocks. If you told me that there's a chance that I can find some dino toad in a rock I would be smashing rocks like Gallagher smashed watermelons. All right, that can't be the best reference I can use. You guys don't even know who Gallagher is probably. I would be I would be smashing rocks like Dwayne Johnson's wife does every night. That's not much better. Look, I I I just don't have a smashing rocks innuendo just waiting to be used. Um I, I would be smashing rocks looking for toads is what I'm saying. All right, all right, with that, let's move on to the next one, which is April 21st, 1896, to a story that had this headline. Flatbush has a ghost. It is returned for its hand, which Mr. Norton dug up. The old town of Flatbush, now the 29th ward of Brooklyn, that's right, we're in America for this one, has a ghost, a Simon Pure ghost. Kurt here. I had to look up this phrase. So Simon Pure means completely genuine, authentic, or honest. So if you know someone, you can be like, hey, man, Simon, you know what? You're Simon Pure. And you're giving him a compliment. All right, back to the Flatbush ghost story. Already in progress. The 29th Ward of Brooklyn has a ghost, a Simon Pure, sure enough ghost that nightly walks on East Broadway near Nordstrand Avenue, and stops at the house of Charles Norton to make inquiries for a hand that it lost there many years ago while its restless spirit was in the flesh. I gotta say, that that's quite the polite ghost. Instead of, like, you know, screaming while the walls bleed, it just kind of stops by every night inquiring about its hand. Although, I, I have to imagine that that would get old after a little bit. You know, it'd be like, you know, like, Ah, oh, for fuck's sake. No, we don't have your fucking hand. We told you this every night for the past four fucking years. Here, and like cuts off his own hand and take it. Now go away. You know, like every night, you you know that every night, you know, your friends are over and you're going to be like, oh, it's almost seven o'clock. I hate seven o'clock. And they're like, why? What happens at seven o'clock? Oh, there's somebody at the door. I'll get it. And it's a ghost going like, excuse me, do you have my hand? I would, when I was... Made of flesh, you know, you had my hand. I'd like my hand, please. That's going to get annoying quick. Now, these visits are not fully appreciated, it says, by Norton or his wife, but it appears that Norton is to blame for the appearance of this ghost because his ghost ship was, that's in the article, his ghost ship was not heard of until Norton, while searching for gold in his own cellar, dug up a hand that had laid undisturbed for years. There was even a ring on one of the fingers of the exhumed hand, 
And when this hand had been rubbed by the ghost in true Arabian Nights fashion, I think they mean by the person when this ghost hand had been rubbed, like he's like, whoa, what's on that ring of this skeleton hand I just dug up in my own basement? They said as soon as he, you know, rubbed it, boop, there you go, ghost appeared. It's now said that all it wants is the hand and the ring, and that afterwards it will cease worrying the descendants of the early Dutch in Flashbush, Flatbush. Oh, well, then you know what? Don't be a dumb dickhole. The first night the ghost stopped by for the hand, you could have just went, oh, that's, that's weird. I actually just found a hand. Hold on one second. Let me brush the dirt off it. Here you go. Thank you. Good night. You don't go like, oh, no, I don't I don't have a hand. That's that's weird. Shut up, honey. Don't tell him about that. Nope, no hand here. Go check next door. No hand here. Shut up. That's my hand. I found it in the cellar. No, give him his freaking hand back. All right, the story says, that the old Dutchman in the town tell of a ghost that is 60 years ago a belated traveler with lots of gold in his belt that stayed overnight at the farmhouse of one Krug, a thrifty Dutch farmer. That's right, the same farmhouse that Norton there lives in. Now, when Krug, when he heard of a large amount of gold that his visitor had about him, gave up his own room to the stranger and insisted that, you know, yeah, you should sleep here. Then, the next day, boof. The, the the visitor disappeared. And when his daughters were like, hey, what happened to the guy that was staying in your room? He was like, oh, uh, that guy? Yeah, uh, he left before daybreak. And they went, well, we were going to go change his sheets, but all the bedding is gone. He went, oh, yeah, um, I burnt it because, you know, the stranger was recovering from attack of yellow fever, so I figured it'd be safer, and I just burnt all of it. Then, right after he told his family that, his wife, who was cleaning the bedroom, said, oh, um, honey, I found a hand behind the headboard that had been cut off with an axe. So Krug was like, what? I, we better bury that in the basement because, you know, that's the normal thing to say. And so he buried the hand in the basement. It said, Mr. Norton, who was a man almost 50 years old and a painter by trade, was very uncommunicative when the reporter called at his home. He doesn't like to speak of the hand. His wife was a nervous disposition, and the stories about the ghost and the murder that had been committed in the house had quite upset her. Mrs. Norton came into the room just then. She said, We haven't seen the ghost, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if this house is haunted. Everybody has lived here since the murder has had bad luck. One man occupied the house about 40 years ago, left his wife and children, and ran away with another man's wife. Another was a burglar, and when he was caught, a whole lot of silverware was found buried in the cellar. Eh, that's why Norton was, was digging in the cellar. Another committed suicide. We've been here six years now, and there has not been anything, nothing but sickness in our family. I don't like to talk about these things. It sends a chill down my spine. So... The rumor is that the which is pretty much obvious. The the newspaper said that Norton, while hunting for the silverware, supposedly to be buried in his cellar, dug up two rusty revolutionary swords, several pieces of ancient coin, before stumbling upon, yep, a hand with a ring on it. I told you. Weird shit show. You got a chance to make right and give a hand back, and you just go, nope. Sorry, come back tomorrow. Maybe we'll find it by tomorrow and do that for six years. That's on you, dude. All righty, up next we go to Dr. E.A. Wallace Budge. You might be thinking, 
Dude, I love Dr. D.A. Wallace Budge. Well, as do I. Who was he, for those of you that don't know, which has got to be a, just a small percentage of you? Well, he was the head of the Egyptian Antiquities Department of the British Museum for over 30 years and is said to be the author of many influential books on the history of the ancient Egyptians. Well, when he was just a student at the University of Cambridge in England, he had a chance to be in charge of a lucrative exhibition, quote-unquote. But it depended on him passing an examination to test his skills with the ancient Assyrian language. So, Dr. E.A. Wallace Budge said that the night before his test, he had a dream. And in the dream, he was seated in a small room with a skylight in the roof. Now, a man entered and handed him a paper to translate for the test. Now, E.A. said he knew he had seen the text before but couldn't translate it. So he awoke from the dream in, quote, a frightened state. Rum, I love you, but why are you, what, what do you want in here? There's nothing in there, sweetheart. Here, I'm going to put this over here because, there we go. Now it's out of the way. All right, sorry. So he said he woke up in a frightened state. Then he had the same dream two more times, and he was like, he woke up again, like freaking out, said, I can't sleep. So he lit a fire, grabbed a book of Assyrian text to read it. In it, he found that some of the text looked very similar to what he had in his dream. So he said, out of a mixture of curiosity and sleeplessness, he spent the rest of the night working at translating this text. And by the morning, he said he had written a reasonable English version. You can all see where this is going, but I'll keep going. All righty. When he went to be tested that morning, he was informed that the main testing hall was full due to a large classical literature exam. So he was shown to a quiet side room near the kitchen. And in it, yep, you guessed it, a skylight in the roof. A little premature on the dun-dun-duns, Kurt. There was a skylight in the roof. Now, the man handling the examination then gave Dr. E.A. Wallace Budge his test which proved to be exactly the same text that EA had spent the hours later or hours earlier translating. So of course he passes the translation, he gets the exhibition. Well, yeah, you ghost cheated, man, or dream cheated. Look, you cheated is what I'm saying. So when you go to get your lucrative exhibition, you won't know what you're doing unless you dream about that too. You know, some of us actually have to study and aren't dream cheating, okay, Mr. Cheap to dream, dream to cheat guy. Again, I don't, I don't have something standing by for that. All right, let's move on to uh, 1897, though. The headline, The Haunted London Taxi Cab. wonder what this one's going to be about. It's kind of a spoiler headline. Now, this one was from the Shields Daily Gazette, and it read, The Haunted Cab, A London Story. If one speaks of haunted cabs, one is likely to be greeted with a cynical smile. Nevertheless, in a certain muse in London, there's an old and exceedingly dilapidated four-wheeler, which is treated as a valuable relic and spoken of with awe and deference by the cabbies who visit the yard. This ancient wreck is time-worn and worm-eaten. Its cushions smell musty, moths and mice have played havoc with its linings, and there is a vast hole in the roof that ventilates in a most uncomfortable manner its shabby interior. On certain nights, muffled moans and harsh cries may be heard by those who are daring enough to venture near it after dark. And if anyone is so, so foolheartedly as to sit upon its dingy cushions, 
the whole yard shivers at the audacity and trembles for the consequences. All right, well, well worded, well written, I like it. Now the article goes on to explain the story behind the haunting. It says, On a dismal night, the cabbie picked up a man who was on the run from some invisible enemies. After frantically driving his vehicle away, urged on by his fare's terrified screams, the cabbie had discovered the man had committed suicide in the back of the taxi. Now, within a few days, the driver was also found dead in the cab as well, apparently strangled by the ghost of the suicide. Wait, why kill the cabbie? All he was doing was driving your dumb ass away from invisible enemies. It wasn't like he crashed and you were killed from the invisibles. No, he was driving like baby driver with your screaming dumb ass in the back seat. I really hope the cab is haunted by the driver who's pissed that some dumbass got the wrong revenge and now he's stuck being a cabbie for eternity. But sadly, I can't find out what happened to the cab. I would assume by now it's gone because it was an old cab in 18, what was it, 1897, but I can't, I can't find out any more info. But I did find another website that talks only about this cab. All right, here we go. It's called The Haunted Cab. Let's see. It speaks of the haunted cab. It's supposed to be the oldest four-wheeler in existence. Here we go. I don't know how they got this information because it doesn't make any sense, but they seem to have like word for word what happened that very night. One certain dismal night before Kensington, what is now what is now known, what it was what is now, the driver of the haunted cab was crawling slowly along when he was met by a man. Okay, go get him. Was met by a man who rounded a corner and hastily jumped in. Drive for your life, he shouted in a voice hoarse with terror. Drive to the devil. I've got gold here. You should have whatever you ask. Took the cabbie a second or two to collect his muddled thoughts. This is bullshit. This is all, this is all like, like fanfic about the incident. Go on, he cried. For heaven's sakes, go on, go on, go on. I tell you. They're behind us. I can hear them. Confound you, man. Do you want me to be hanged after all? The cabbie looked around. There was nobody behind him. His face ghastly white. His eyes frantic with terror. Yeah, this is, wow, this is, oh, it was written in 1903. No wonder it's so flowerful. Um, the Marlborough Express, February 20th, 1903. So this one's, this story's been going on for a long time. But it, again, it doesn't tell you what happened to the cab itself. Are there other accounts of this haunted cab? Were you tempted to cut your throat if you were foolish enough to sit in it? And most important of all, does the cab still exist in some transport museum? Nobody knows. Well, then, I don't know. Well, with that then, let's move on to September 23rd, 1898. The headline, The Ghost Moved Macaroni. Prayers will be said today to lay a restless West Orange spirit. This one comes out of Orange, New Jersey. Prayers will be said tomorrow morning in the church of St. Michael the Archangel in Matthew Street. This city to lay a ghost which is driving the Italian residents of White Street in West Orange into superstitious frenzy. Ghostly rappings, hand clappings, flip flap dip dappings, turtle rappings. Okay, I made them made up the last couple, but ghostly rappings and hand clappings, you got to keep going. 
Let's see. Uh, ghostly rappings, hand clappings, and other supernatural demonstrations have been heard and experienced since Monday in the store and rooms occupied for, by Frank Petro and family, who keep a grocery store in one end of a big frame tenement house just across the street, just across the orange line. It was in this house that Peter Christiana was stabbed by Lorenzo Corbo, an old organ grinder at a New Year's Eve party eight months ago. The neighbors assert that the ghostly demonstrations are caused by the restless spirit of the murdered man. Father Diaquila, pastor of the Church of St. Michael, was called in last night. He prayed and sprinkled holy water in the rooms where the noises were heard. While he was in the house, there was no demonstrations, but as soon as he had left, the family and neighbors, Aver, the family and neighbors, Aver, the noises were recommenced and redoubled frequency and violence. I don't know what that means. I just, you know, I get what it means, but still, I don't know what the word Aver has to do with anything. Petro, who is a big, hearty man of intelligent appearance, says he did not believe in ghosts, but does not know what else to think. At midnight last night, he declared he heard a noise as if the front doors of the store, which were fastened with a heavy bar set in staples, had been thrown wide open and the bar flung to the floor. He tried to get out of bed to investigate, but was held down by some invisible power which pressed upon his chest and made it impossible for him to move. The presence remained for an hour, he says. The store doors were locked as usual this morning, but a box of macaroni, which had been placed upon a top shelf, stood on the floor in the middle of the room with a handful of long straws lying across the top in the form of a cross. A Times correspondent heard the noises tonight and made a thorough investigation of the rooms and cellar without ascertaining their cause. Samuel Cristiano, a brother of the murdered man who keeps a saloon on the, ba- on the next block, is convinced that the quote-unquote presence is that of his brother's spirit. He says he went there last night into the room where most of the noises are heard and begged the spirit to make itself visible. It did not, but as he rose from his knees after praying there unsuccessfully, three, after praying, three unusually loud knocks sounded just under the place where he was standing. Petro and his family say they have not slept for three nights. They went out to stay with friends tonight and intend to move out of the house tomorrow. Tenants in the other end of the house have heard nothing of the noises. Okay, up next on this one from September, let's go a few months after this, to September 14th, 1899. To Alice Knott, 23 years old of 803 12th Street. She came to her death yesterday through the instrumentality of her pet parrot. An evil dispositioned bird who is cordially detested by everyone except his mistress. Okay, newspaper, how about, how, how do you know that everyone detested this parrot? Anyhow, an evil dispositioned bird who is cordially detested by everyone except his mistress, but who seemed to have a strong affection for her. He would follow her from room to room and was never happy except in her presence. He was generally regarded as a devil by the Negroes, oh, good Lord, and as a bird of ill omen by the whites. Come on, old-timey racist. Was that part even remotely necessary? How about this? The bird was hated by one and all. See? Boom. There you go. You don't have to get racist on this crap. Anyhow, his unpopularity was increased by an uncanny habit of pulling the tips off of gas burners with his strong beak and inhaling the gas until it stupefied him. He was a gas fiend, a feather victim of his gas habit. Of his gas habit? All right, you almost made up for your casual racism with that line. 
He was a gas fiend, a feather victim, a feathered victim of his gas habit. Oh, that's a good line. All right. While his young mistress was sleeping yesterday, the parrot took off the lava tip in her room and started on a gas debauch. This time, there was no one near to avert the consequences of his deed. When Miss Knott's relatives, alarmed by her long silence, broke open the door, they found her dead. Her little murderer was found half unconscious by the door. That's right. When he found himself succumbing to the gas and was not, not rescued as usual by his mistress when he normally huffs gas, he realized that something had gone wrong and had wit or instinct enough to make for the door and shove his bill as far as he could underneath it. He gassed out his mistress and was like, oh shit, this is bad, I'm gonna die, and he put his bill under the door? That is a devious fucking bird. All right, so he recovered, and while the coroner was in the house, the malignant little bird was caught trying to turn on the gas again. <laughs> that gas-huffing little feathered fucker lived to kill again, I assume, it never says, you know, like someone took the little bastard out and shot it. So in my mind, the little bird went from little old lady to little old lady, snuffing them out as he huffed gas for the next 80 years. Okay, let's move into the 1900s. To 1901, that is. To the woman who married a ghost. That's right, on January 15th, 1901, the Sunderland Daily Echo reported that Bessie Brown of, Cam of Cameron, Oklahoma had married a ghost. The writer explained that Bessie's fiancé had died a few weeks before their wedding, and after his spirit appeared to her, she decided, yep, she would marry that spirit. Now, the article reported that Bessie had moved into a cottage with her husband and that persons who pass the house can hear them talking and laughing just as if they were both in human form. That's weird. The story says the minister went with Bessie last week into the graveyard where her lover was buried. And at midnight, the ceremony was performed, which united her to the ghost of the man whom she had promised to marry two years ago, but whom was killed in a rail railroad wreck just a few weeks previous to the wedding. I believe after close study of the girl's actions that she truly thinks she is wedded to her ghost, and that the apparition appears to her as naturally as if, he was, as if the spirit were still in the body. We're trying to do everything we can to make her forget her ghost, but it seems as if we're going to fail. Before the graveyard wedding, Miss Brown rented a cottage and refurbished it for two. She is now living there with her ghost husband. She can be seen sitting at the back porch conversing with an invisible companion and often walks along the street talking aloud to some person whom no one else can see. The townspeople are much excited over this matter. They all know Miss Brown to be a Christian young woman and one who would not deceive anyone for the world. Most of them actually believe she's married to the ghost of her dead lover. That's kind of cool, because you would have thought in like 1901, you know, some stupid kid would have ran up and stoned her to death like you do mermaids, you know? I'm glad that, I'm glad that she's still out there, you know, just enjoying life. All right, this next one. This next one is about a woman that, she's someone that everyone should know about, but I sure as hell didn't, and uh, I, I was like, well, this is cool. I got to talk about this one. And spoiler, um, she's a freaking harpy taking down ship after ship, basically. Like, you know, that's the spoiler. Hey, Rum, how's my girl? Yeah, I'm talking about harpies. Yes, I am. All right, this woman named Violet Jessup survived not only the sinking of the Titanic, 
but also the destruction of both of the Titanic's sister ships. Yeah, Violet Jessup was a stewardess aboard the RMS Olympics. Now, the Olympic was one of the Titanic's sister ships when it collided with another ship on September 1911. Now, the Olympic was damaged, but it made it back to port with no casualties. Kurt here, still lusting for bodies being sucked down to the abyss, Violet strikes again. Because less than six months later, Violet was aboard the Titanic, again as a stewardess, when, after watching Jack and Rose fuck in the Model T, the ship sinks. Now, Olive survived. Well, yeah, she's a freaking harpy. So, after that, Violet became a stewardess for the British Red Cross and served aboard the HMS Britannic during World War I. There was an unexplained explosion. Kurt here. It's obvious. Violet jumped overboard with a gas-soaked parrot, slapped it against the hull, and blew out the side of the freaking ship. Now, the explosion caused the ship to sink quickly. Violet had to jump out of the lifeboat that she was in in order to avoid being sucked under the ship's propellers. Now, she suffered a head injury in the process, but despite all of this, she returned to work for the same shipping company, the White Star, about four years later. To kill again. Again, I'm just guessing, but here's my thought. After the Britannic... Here's some more ships that she took down to Davy Jones's locker. The White Ship, the SS Kinyanga, the SS Sultana, the RMS Lusitania, the, the Minnow. You know, why else would it have had big hole in it after only a three-hour tour in a storm? The Edmund Fitzgerald. She is credited with Gordon Lightfoot on the original 45 single, if you can find one. They're hard to find. The ship that Quint talks about in Jaws. The Poseidon Adventure. Das Boot. Now, this one proved to be hard for her to sink because, you know, it was a submarine. Uh, then, once her bloodlust couldn't be fulfilled by maritime ships anymore, she went after U.S. Airways Flight 1549. That's right, it was her that took down Sully's plane, making him land in the Hudson. Oceanic Flight 815. The Moonraker. Look, the list just goes on and on. For all we know, she's still out there just taking down ships left and right and going like, Oh, that's so, uh, I was on this ship too. That's crazy. Anyhow, uh, you have a ship opening on that one? All right, I'll take that one down next. I mean, I'll work on that one next. All right. Let me just preface this next one by saying, not paranormal, but weird. And also, how is it not a bigger story? This next one is, the vice president of PepsiCo attended an American exhibition in Moscow in 1959 as part of an effort to convince the Soviet Union of the benefits of capitalism. Now, apparently, Pepsi was a big hit. They must not have had Coke at this demonstration, but there was a problem. Soviet money wasn't generally accepted worldwide. So what do they do? Well, the USSR bought billions of dollars worth of Pepsi by trading submarines, military ships, and a lot of vodka for Pepsi. And get this, for that brief time, PepsiCo had the sixth largest military in the world until it sold all of the ships and the submarines for scrap recycling. Um, why isn't this on the side of every freaking can? I would base 
all marketing on that if I were them. And, and you know, like maybe do it again, you know, to take down Coca-Cola, you know, get another country that doesn't have a lot of money that's willing to give you a shit ton of like missiles. Like, I don't know, North Korea or something. And, and with my massive maritime fleet, I would be telling the world, we let you live, Coca-Cola. While you hippies were singing you want to buy the world a Coke, we could have nuked you back to the cocaine days. How freaking weird is that? PepsiCo, for a brief time, had the sixth largest military in the world. That's, why isn't that a bigger story? Why isn't that a bigger story? Okay, for this next one, we go to 2013. Now, yeah, 2013 isn't exactly historical, but it's in the past, so... uh, Hold on, let's go to the judges. Judges, um, what do you think? Is 2013 historical? Oh, no, hold on. Twenty uh can it be on a historical shit show type of an of uh, an episode? Oh, it can be. All right, see, see, you know what? Sometimes you just gotta go to the judges for this one. Um uh, judges sided with me. So uh, with that, on to the story. This is about a Disney Frozen Elsa doll. It was gifted to their daughter for Christmas of 2013. Um, and it happens in Houston. And well, uh, it didn't just annoy the dad with let it go over and over again. It made the news become it's because it seemingly became haunted. Oh, thank you, Rum. I love you too. Per KPRC2 Houston News, the doll recited phrases from the movie Frozen and sang Let It Go when a button on its necklace was pressed. Kurt here, never press that button on the necklace. Not because it's haunted, but because of that song. So they said for two years, it did that in English. Anytime you pressed it, phrases from the movie and sang Let It Go. Then Mother Emily Madonia said, Two very, very long years. In 2015, it started doing it alternating between Spanish and English. There wasn't even a button that changed these. It was just random. Bilingual madness took over. Now, the family has owned the doll for six more years, and she said we'd never have changed the batteries. The mother says the doll would randomly begin to speak and sing, even when it was switched off. Yeah, it's learning. The family decided to throw the creepy doll out in December of 2019. So, story's over, right? Right? Nope. Weeks later, they find the doll on a bench in the living room. Yeah, that's right. It's back. The kids insisted they didn't put it there, and I believe them because they wouldn't have had to. They would have had to have dug through the garbage outside. She told KPRC Two News. All right, so this is a story where the next sentence could should be, and then the dad fucking shot it. The dad took the doll out to the shed and just shot the doll. Nope, because that's not something that you should be shooting. That you do shoot. No, you you shoot at otters for no fucking reason. But no, the doll appeared. And Elsa stopped singing the English rendition of Let It Go altogether. Only Spanish when pressed from that moment on. The family then double-bagged the doll, placed it at the bottom of their garbage, 
which was taken out on garbage day. They went on a trip shortly afterwards, but when they returned, Elsa had come back and was waiting in the backyard of their home. Okay, this story has to be bullshit, right? Well, it doesn't appear to be. Hold on one second. That's not for you. Thank you. Appreciate it. It doesn't appear to be. They post about this on Facebook. And they said, okay, guys, seriously, we need help. To recap for those of you who have not been following our Elsa doll saga, Matt threw it away weeks ago, and then we found it inside a wooden bench. Okay, so we were weirded out by that and tightly wrapped in its own garbage bag and put that garbage bag inside another garbage bag filled with other garbage and put it at the bottom of our garbage can underneath a bunch of other bags of garbage, wheeled it to the curb, and was collected on garbage day. Great, right? Well, we went out of town forgot about it. Today, Aurelia says, Mom, I saw the Elsa doll again in the backyard. She says, help us get rid of this doll. All right, let me click on it. Now you guys need to hear from the doll itself. Let's turn it up. All right, we're all turned up. I'm sure there's going to be a commercial. I got to turn it right back down, but let's see. Yep, I was right. Uh, in these 15 seconds, once again, I check out violetsinmay.co.uk. Awesome, awesome people. Awesome, awesome stuff. All right, now let's get back to the spooky haunted Elsa doll story already in progress. Sure. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's a creepy laugh. That's a creepy laugh. All right. She's she's keeps pressing. All right. So yeah, it's it's an Elsa doll speaking in Spanish. Um she says that uh when asked if she believed a prank was being pulled, she said, no, the doll has some marker on her from my daughter coloring over the years. So I know the doll that reappeared was the original and not a replacement. Most logical thinkers believe it's a prank, but I don't understand how or when it was done, especially because the garbage truck had taken it away. Now, the family has made a final attempt to get rid of their daughter's old toy, but this time Elsa isn't going into the unknown. The doll was mailed without a return address to a family friend in Minnesota. If the doll comes back, I might have to open my mind to some of the more supernatural solutions. She says, for the rest of the story, she made it to Minnesota and is taped to the brush guard of my Jeep. If anything weird happens, I'm welding her into a steel pipe and sinking it in the lake of the woods, the family friend wrote. Uh, yeah. Elsa. Haunted Elsa doll. See, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be like an old porcelain doll from like an antique store. No, you can get like just a regular old Elsa doll and it can be haunted as shit too. So enjoy that thought next time you go out and buy some doll for your kids that's going to sing to you. So there you have it. This is yet another weird shit show for the most part, except for the last story, a historical weird shit show. Uh, I love these. I hope you guys like them because I'm going to do more of these because I like them. And it's my show. And frankly, until an Elsa doll shows up telling me to stop, I'm going to probably keep going. All righty. What did you guys think? Was there a story, particular story where you're like, what the crap for me? 
There's a few of them. That violet lady that's, you know, the harpy taking down ships. That was crazy weird. PepsiCo, sixth largest military ever. That's freaking weird. Pretty much all of these stories were pretty freaking weird. When you get right down to it, it seems like no matter what year, what decade, there's always some weird shit happening in this world. And, uh, you know, today is no exception. This year is no exception. Uh, This decade is no exception. So with that, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig. This has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Oh, get it. Oh, get it.